Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Hi, and welcome to another Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Joel Grote. And I'm Lynn Wilder. And we have a guest today. This is Leah, but Joel, I'm going to let you introduce her. You know her. I know her some. Uh, Leah reached out to us, I think called us on the phone at our ministry to ask some questions about some information and ended up talking with her and found out she had a pretty amazing story, um, background um, all her life, born into performance religious group. We'll let her talk about that. And so I just thought, okay, this is, sounds like some fun stuff. And so we're going to interview her for probably this episode, maybe a second one. So Leah, welcome so much to the podcast. We're really glad to have you with us. Well, thank you. This is not something I do very often, or actually I've never done it before at all. So. Well, cool. So your first time, <laughs> awesome. well, it's, it's just a casual conversation and we're delighted you're here. So I will try to make it easy on you by asking the questions and you just have to answer them. And um, the first one is, so just tell us about your religious spiritual background history. Well, I I grew up in Washington, D.C., actually Arlington, Virginia, which is right across the Potomac from D.C. My parents had actually technically nine children, but four of them died, one 72 hours after birth, and the others were premature babies that died. And I I was the baby. I was the last child. So um, before I was born, my mother, who was raised Episcopalian, was looking for something in her life that she felt was missing. And she also felt that some of the things she had been told about if a child isn't baptized, they can go to hell, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, she had problems with that because, you know, she loved each one of her babies. So. My father happened to be working for the United States Geological Survey at the time. And there was a man that worked with him who was LDS. And okay. when he heard about, <laughs> well, when he heard about the, the one before me who had died as a premature baby, they said, you know, that, that's not what happens to babies. And he went on and told my dad all about how they could be united with these babies and everything else. So my dad says, why don't you come over and talk to my wife? And yeah. so when my mom heard all how she could be reunited with the, the babies that she lost, she just, you know, gravitated and embraced it because that mm. had been a major source of grief for her. And then she got pregnant with me. And so I was the only child that was actually born LDS. The others all converted in as young children with my okay. parents. And that's kind of how I ended up becoming, you know, or being LDS. I was born into it, basically. Wow. So what was your dad's religious background? Your mom was Episcopalian. It sounds like my, super <laughs> my dad was nothing in particular. He believed <laughs> there was a God. Okay. Um, he came from a very dysfunctional kind of family background. His mother had been married like five times and they traveled all over the place. And church was not something they did except maybe Christmas. If yeah. that. So my dad really had nothing and mom wanted something. And it just kind of worked out that 
the Mormon people were there for him. Yes. And of course, they embraced him. So, so. when Micah served his mission, one of my sons in Florida, he converted a family that had just had a stillborn child with the same mm -hmm. message. But Leah, Micah told me that as a Mormon missionary, they actually went through the paper and looked at the obituaries and then visited mm -hmm. families who had had someone die and with the message, what they thought was good news, right? That you can be yeah. a family forever. And so sure. particular family joined the church. You know, though, when Micah left Mormonism, he went back to that family and told them that he <laughs> believed wow, he had okay. led them the wrong way. And that woman stayed Mormonism for several years, but she has since come to biblical faith and is a strong Christian yeah. now. So oh. didn't mean and, to interrupt you, but that's well, somewhat that's okay. unusual, say, isn't that, right? No, isn't that the case so many times that so many people who are converts are much more for the emotional and spiritual draw than any necessary doctrinal draw. Though this is certainly a doctrinal point that your family could be forever, but the attraction is that social emotional need that we have. Well, it really, it plays on the emotions. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that I think faith and emotions are necessarily segregated. They're not. But in this particular case, you're zeroing in on one particular thing. You're taking, I look at it now and I say, you're taking a person's grief when they're their most vulnerable and you're giving them an easy answer to a complex problem. My mother's problems from all the loss that she had and all the pregnancies that she had, she had a postpartum depression, oh, but wow. it never got, it never got called that because they didn't have that name for it back then. Mm. They yeah. used to call it moodiness. Um, she, I look back on it now and realize that she was perhaps bipolar. Uh, Cause I look over the span of my lifetime and my interactions with my mother and her behaviors. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that, you know? So she um, was seeking for something, right? Seeking for healing. She yeah. wanted to heal from the yeah. hurt and the pain yeah. and the loss. And, you know, when somebody's that vulnerable and you give them an easy answer, the, you know, something they want to hear, they're going to grab it. And so that's how my parents ended up. For my dad, it was just a case of whatever makes mama happy makes yeah. the whole world good. You know? right. So how faithful were you as a family then? Did she jump in with both feet? Um, did you guys, get, oh, were you actively yeah. involved? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I never took a break except for briefly as an adult, as I got older and my family life became more tumultuous because of mom's depression and uh, everything else. And there were other things going on too, um, including uh, sexual abuse in the home. No. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> we hear this so much. Because we hear this often, Leah. I, I mean, probably what, Lynn, 35, 45 easily for some oh, no, of the people I should we've keep interviewed? Track. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's not an uncommon theme to come up is what we're well, saying so with older people i don't know about the other people you talk with i'm from a generation where what you the, the expression of the day was don't put your garbage on the street so nah. you don't tell people what's going on and yeah. to be quite honest with you i didn't understand what was going on my generation didn't talk about sex how are you supposed to know mm. i was told that this yeah. was the normal way that fathers and daughters related my dad never threatened me or tried to scare me or horse me or anything he just said this is how daddies love you and it's called today it's called grooming 
Did yes. religion play into that? From did he use the faith at all? Because I've heard people do that. He never came right out and did that. Um, years later, I would look back on it, and it would actually lead into one of the questions I asked the bishop before I left the Mormon Church. So I don't know if we want to get, even go there because we're like jumping decades ahead, but I did have an occasion to sit down and talk with my dad many years later. And he never directly said that it was because of something from the Mormon church teachings. Mm -hmm. But there was kind of, when I asked, posed a particular, let's give them something to hold on to here, folks. Okay. okay. When yeah. I asked him a particular question, he said, yeah, I, I think that may have had something to do with it. Mm -hmm. But he, you know, we'll get to the good part later because there is a good part coming. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. So then, so your childhood though, LDS activities, did you have? It was, oh yeah, I went okay. to primary and, and then in my teen years, MIA participated in all kinds of speech contests, road shows, everything they had. As long as I could get there, I did it. And to be honest with you, I loved going. Mm -hmm. I loved uh, first of all, I love being a Mormon. I, I wish I had pulled this stuff out now. I think about it. I actually, I guess I was in fourth or fifth grade when you had to do a little book of, about yourself, you know, a little school mm -hmm. project. Sure. Yep. This is who I am. My school mm -hmm. project was about, you know, I like this, I like this, and I am a Mormon, and this is what I believe. Mm -hmm. And I was just a little girl doing this. I had plans. I had plans. I was actually going to get married in the temple, have children, the whole ball. I wanted what I did not have in my own home, but what I saw in the homes of other LDS kids. Did you um, do seminary then? Oh, Early yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. I used to love going to seminary. It was one of the things I enjoyed doing. See, the Mormon church, I, I, I will tell you, I, some of it, I, I would like to blame the abuse on it, but I happen to like food a lot, so I can't totally blame the abuse for it. But I was oh, I, until I was a teenager, I was a thin child. But when when puberty hit, June burst out all over, and I started struggling with obesity. And wow. when you're a big when you're a big girl and you're a homely girl, and you're very shy for the most part, um, you know you've got to find your peer group somewhere. And the Mormon Church was my peer group. I may not have been just like all the other girls, but at least they let me play. Oh, okay. I got to be in their playground. I got to be in the road shows and everything else. So June, did you, or did you serve a mission, Leah? Excuse me. No, I didn't. I would later on, uh, after being married and everything, go out on what they called sister splits, where I would go with one of the LDS missionary gals. Oh, okay. I used, to sure. call them, I used to call them the missionettes. And I would go <laughs> out with the missionettes. And it was fun. It was the closest I got to going on a mission, and I really enjoyed doing it. See, this is the whole thing. The Mormon church was the thing I loved. Um, yeah. I didn't have bad experiences as a Mormon. And when I tell people that, they look at me kind of funny. They say, what? You mean... Yeah, you people don't have to. I mean, a lot of people we've interviewed have said the same thing, said, man, I love my Mormon background. I love my Mormon family. Um, it was a great way to grow up. You know, it I, had was. I had activities. And, I had a like I said, if you're the kid that doesn't quite fit in with the school kids in the 60s and 70s, you had to be Twiggy, which, whoops, I don't know what's going on with my screen. Uh, you had to be Twiggy, and I wasn't. I didn't quite fit in with the school kids. I was the nerdy girl in the marching band, you know, but I fit in you know, with the, with the kids at my church and they let me participate. Yeah. I, so, I didn't really have to compete much. I just 
participated, you know? That's awesome what you do after high school. <laughs> well, I got pregnant. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you. I, I was that little. I don't know. Did you, Lee? Did you go to the uh, dances on Saturday nights? Did you um, ever go to those? No. No. Oh, okay. Well, my I mom didn't join till twenty-four. Oh, till okay. I was twenty-four and married. Well, they yeah. had youth my dances. Kids did. Right. They mm -hmm. always had the youth yeah. dances on Saturday night, and I was that girl that kind of stood by the punch bowl and handed everybody else their brownies. You know. The boys didn't ask me to dance because I was the pretty girl, you know. And so I just, you know, didn't have anybody. I didn't have a boyfriend. I dated minimally, but I didn't have a boyfriend. And uh, I needed a ride home one evening because my brothers were taking their girlfriends home, and nobody wanted me to ride with them. And I, <laughs> I don't, brothers, yeah. <laughs> you know. So my one brother said, "Well, why don't you see if that guy over there? His name is Richard. He's a pretty nice guy." Um, he's real quiet and he doesn't live far from the folks house. So why don't you, you know, have him take you home? So I went over and I said, my brother says you can give me a ride home. He says, yeah, he asked me. I told him, okay. I mean, this was just the thrill meeting. <laughs> and I, I'm just going to cut to the chase and say that we dated for two weeks. If you want to call it dating, we hung out together. Mm -hmm. And then one evening he took me to see a really scary movie. We ended up back at his place and I got pregnant. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, and he was, he was a brand new convert to the Mormon church. So, you know, there we were. So we ended up and ended up getting married. Oh, and the sad okay. part about it was that um, he did not love me and he made it very plain that he didn't. Oh, and man. after we got married, he, I kept going to the LDS church. He said he didn't want to keep going. He had no desire to go. He was very bitter because as it would turn out, the girl who talked him into becoming LDS, I guess is the best way to do it. Uh, he had, he was in love with her and she told him that she would not marry him unless he became LDS. So he converted and then she dumped him. And that, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't think that was common. But it did happen to him, and it left him with a really bad taste in his mouth for religion of any kind. He wouldn't let me go anywhere. Mm. And uh, his parents were irreligious, so it didn't really matter. They weren't atheists, but they didn't go to church or anything except on Christmas. Christmas always wow. gets them. So, so long did you stay together? Well, two babies worth. <laughs> two okay. babies worth. Uh, it, it turned into an abuse situation. And uh, one day, my oldest brother, the oldest of the boys, uh, he, I called him up. I said, I can't do it anymore. He's getting physically abusive. I can't do it anymore. And he came and took me and the kids, and I relocated. Um, and eventually, we ended up divorced and everything. We did not get married in the temple, and that was a good thing because yeah. I think that would have yeah. been very complicated. Um, yes. so, for, so for the next five years, I lived as a single mother. I would try to go to LDS services, um, but back then they didn't have a whole lot of stuff for single parents, male or female. Yeah. Plus, so, did you feel a stigma? Actually, not so much a stigma as feeling left out. Uh, you look around and you see hubby, wife, 16 children, or however many they've got, and they're all <laughs> together on the pew, you know, with their quiet books and their little whatever's they're doing yep. and you're sitting activities. there yeah 
and you're sitting there with your two children and you know when they have the daddy daughter dance there's no daddy to dance with my daughter hmm. so she doesn't get to go and little friends get yeah. to go you know this kind of stuff so um i i continue to try and go for the next couple of years and finally i just said i don't know about this i you know and by that well, time how I old were your girl how old were your were they both girls then no one was a girl one was a boy so how and old were boy, you at this point oh uh, let's see but bethany was i want to say when i left him she was around three and a half almost okay three and a half and my son was a year and a half they were somewhere in there they were around 15 months apart yeah well i mean apart. in any situation a single mom trying to get two small kids ready to go to church on any given sunday <laughs> is a battle in and of it, it itself was, and my son was special needs so that was always interesting too oh wow um and you know it was it was one of those situations well throughout the course of that uh there was a family friend who decided that he he really liked my daughter and my son and he really liked me a lot which was kind of surprising and uh he wanted to get married okay. and i told him i told him i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> now was he lds no not okay. yet not yet <laughs> uh -oh. so, yeah so he said well what would convince you i said probably nothing because i'm nervous about getting remarried um I'm afraid that, you know, you'll change this kind of thing. Yeah. And he said, he said, no, nah, I'm always going to be me. He was in the Navy, which was really kind of nice. You know, I also was a little scared to ruin a friendship, a perfectly good friendship. Okay. You know? <laughs> so he, he went and talked with my mom who just adored him. And mom says, well, why don't you join the church? Now I didn't know this <laughs> at the time. I did not um, know this at the time that yeah. my mom had pulled that. So he becomes LDS. The missionaries came and spoke to him at my folks' house. The whole ball of wax. Oh. We were going to church together, and he seemed happy to go. Uh -huh. It was okay. just boom, boom, rolling, rolling. So he becomes LDS, and he's due to get transferred off of the, uh, I mean, rather, to the USS Eisenhower. And he wants to get married. And I'm saying, eh, okay. <laughs> you could tell I was thrilled. Like, yeah, okay, you're a nice guy. And he says, well, first I'm going to take some furlough time and go visit with my grandparents. And he did. And while he was there, I dumped him. Uh, I mean, oh. <laughs> what? Okay. I said, no. <laughs> I called uh -huh. him up on the phone and I said, I'm sorry, I just can't do it. Wow. I, I'm, not, I'm not in love with you the way I should be. I love you dearly as a friend. But no. Nah. It, it's, yeah. it's not going to work. So, well, you know, the prophet back then said any two LDS folks that are righteous can get together and it's going to be a good marriage. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does not work that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Prophet so, or no prophet. So I went for a while and actually for a girl who never dated as a kid, I was doing a lot of dating by this time, but I had dropped a lot of weight and I, I changed the way I looked. I wore a lot, I wore makeup. I learned how to put on false eyelashes. All of these things that pretty a girl up, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I started having boyfriends. Unfortunately, everybody wanted to get married, and I didn't. I just didn't. So I went through a few almost altars. Uh, none of those were LDS, however. I gave up on the LDS guys. They all wanted to get married and have babies of their own. And yeah. that, that 
didn't hack it for me. I wasn't going to have any more children. That so, situation had been taken care of. <laughs> do you think your background in sexual abuse had anything to do with your hesitancy to get married? No, I think I oh. think that no, not really, because at the time I hadn't been processing the abuse. Mm. I ran from it. I convinced myself, and I'm going to back up a few years to my okay. teenage years. I did not know what sex was as a kid. And I didn't know about it much until probably about the age of 15 when we had to take it in school. Uh, and yeah. I remember sitting there in school and the teacher's talking and I'm going, okay, yeah, processing, processing. Oh, yeah. And, and then one day I'm sitting there with a friend and her buddies in her car. And one of the boys in the car says, you've got to see this. He pulled a condom out and he opened the wrapper. And right then I just went, oh, I recognize that sound. Oh, oh man. Oh, From, man. Triggered right there. Yeah. yeah. Triggered right there. And I was like, you know, crazy. Well, also during this time, they had been talking to us in church about the importance of staying pure and the expression at that time was better dead than defiled. Oh, yeah. Better dead than, than a chewed piece of gum, huh? Or, or that, I remember the story of the beautiful flower uh, on the top of the hill and the dusty one on the roadside that everybody kicks dust on. And you want to be that beautiful flower on the top of the hill that's never been touched by hand nor dust. Mm. And, I, you know, all of those things that we were getting in YMMIA. And, but the hardest one was better dead than defiled. And I started piecing it together. I always remembered it, but I didn't know what it was that yeah. happened. I knew, I remembered bits and pieces just as clear as a bell, but I didn't, I didn't have a name for it. I couldn't explain what was going on in these memories that I was having and nobody prompted them. Nobody was talking to me to, to make me right. think, that, you know, it was not recovered memories. It was memories always there. That but now I had a context, yeah. Yeah, and mm -hmm. it finally came together. And I, at 16, I, I started really hating myself and telling myself, no, no, that did, that, no, that's just your dirty mind. I, I told myself it was my dirty mind. No. Yeah. And oh, man. well, in Mormonism, day, it's your fault anyway, often, so right? If something's amiss. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, one day I was, uh, I had come home from school. And I had gotten tremendously teased by one boy who thought I was extremely naive. And he was right, I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't, it was tremendous teasing about how naive I was, nothing like you're ugly or anything like that. Yeah. He just, just says, oh, why you don't, don't you know. learn some things? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I stood there and I looked in the mirror and I thought, you know, you're not only, you're not only here because you didn't do the right thing, you're here because it's all your fault and you're stupid. Mm. And so I picked up a bottle of pseudoephedrine and took about half the bottle. Oh. And wow. I, I, I really thought I was going to go down. And then pseudoephed has the effect of making your heart race mm -hmm. and it yeah. faster and faster and faster. And I started getting scared and realized I don't want to do this really. And I ran downstairs and I told my parents, I said, I think I overdosed on pseudoephed. I didn't even want to say I was trying to kill myself. Yeah. I didn't want to say that to my parents. So my mom and dad rushed me to the hospital and they gave me stuff to make me throw up and all the things they do. 
And this one young doctor leaned over me and he said, why'd you try to kill yourself? Mm, yeah. And I couldn't tell him I did. I kept saying, I didn't, I didn't, I really didn't, you know, because suicide is also a big sin. Yeah. <laughs> Darn if you don't, you know. So, oh. you kind of, uh, so I just kind of pushed all of that back into my memory bank, you know. Every so often, I, I would always still have the dreams of being able to fly. You know, I, flight dreams are not uncommon with mm -hmm. abuse victims. Yeah. Where you dream you're just flying up in the air, flying away from whatever the bad thing is. Mm. And yeah. I've continued having those into my adult years until after I came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Oh, I can't so, wait okay. to hear And here's that. the thing. So you need to give us a little bit of teaser for hope because we're pretty much at the end of what can be in our first podcast episode. So when do you start, what starts turning the corner for you toward hope? Give us just like maybe 30 to 60 seconds of that and then we're going to pick up with another episode. And we're going to have okay. to do a Leah part two to get into that. Well, I married a man. I actually got remarried. Parents were devout Christians. Okay. Matter of fact, he and I met because of devout Christians. Wow. And because of our meeting and our getting married and his parents praying for us, witnessing to us, we eventually, as a, well, you'll find out. Okay. So <laughs> I'll tell you the rest. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Lee. It's been great having you. Thank you for sharing your story. There, that's some hard stuff to have to go through. And yet I can tell just by looking at you and listening to you that God has invaded your life in amazing ways oh, yes. to bring you into grace and hope. And that's what we want for our listeners. So we're just going to say, join us for the next episode where Leah continues her story and Thanks for being with us. That was a great teaser, Leah. Grace <laughs> and peace. Until next time. So long. Thank you for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. Join us next time for another conversation devoted to helping your life and relationships flourish. As always, you can find show notes, program transcripts, and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. For a limited time, we are offering the Wilder's book, Seven Reasons We Left Mormonism, for a donation of any amount. Go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free book button to request yours. We greatly appreciate your support for the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.